are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. I wanted to say, as I begin the sermon today, that next Sunday night at 515, I would love to meet with every parent of every person in our church who is birthed through high school, our family ministries crew. I, I would love to meet with you at 515 in the atrium, and, and I promise to make it a quick meeting, but I want you to hear our vision for age group ministries. I want to talk to you about your kids, and I want to talk to you about the heart that God has given me for the children of our church. You, you, you may say, so you're asking me to put it on my calendar, write it down, you want me to show up? Yes, all of those things are really important to me. And if you say, why, Rick, are you making such a big deal out of this? I would simply say, well, that's what I want to talk to you today about. Simply put, your family is worth fighting for. I believe it with everything in me. Your marriage is worth fighting for. Your kids are worth fighting for. I was in my office this week and I had a conversation with a, with a man. He's, he's, a, he's a great guy. I, I think the world of him. And, and he was laying out for me what is happening in his life. It was, it was hard to hear. It's a cancer diagnosis. It's a tough situation that he's in. And so as he's kind of sharing with me what's going on in his life, he's He's, you know, he's, he's somewhat positive. He's, he's upbeat. He's, he's full of faith. Um, he, he reminds me, you know, that my life is in God's hands, Rick. But when I said to him, how are your kids doing? When he tried to answer me, his voice cracked. He held up his finger. And then he just covered his face with his hands and wept. And I realized in that moment that there is something that is more important to him than his own physical health, his own life. And what is more important to him than his own physical health and his life are his kids. Family is important. Annette's not with me today. She jumped on a plane a couple of days ago and she flew over to Nashville, Tennessee because her mother, who is 90, Ruby, is in the hospital. And you say, well, what's Annette doing jumping on a plane, flying across the country? Because Ruby is important to us. She's family. I was FaceTiming with her and Annette yesterday, and I tried so hard to tell her how much we loved her and how much she means to us and how much of an impact she's had on our lives. I'm here to tell you this morning that there's some things in life that are really important, and it's a short list, but on that list is family. Now, when Paul talks to Timothy and these two letters that we're working through in these few weeks together, I know that fight has a negative connotation. 
I haven't been in a fight since maybe grade school. I don't like the idea of anybody hitting mama's baby boy in the face. (laughs) And as negative as it seems to us, Paul uses it as a metaphor to talk about how we live this Christian life. Fight the fight of faith. Fight the fight for your soul. But this morning we learned that it's also about fighting for the souls of your family members. The reason is, is because we have an enemy. I told you last week, 1 Peter 5, 8, your enemy of the devil is looking for someone to destroy. Uh, we, we read Ephesians, I'm trying to remember off the top of my head here, let me look, 6, 12, that this battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the authorities, the powers, the rulers, the spiritual forces of evil in this dark world. John 10, 10, the thief comes to kill and steal and destroy. What I'm trying to say to you is that there is a force of evil in this world that does not want your family to succeed. I got a text from a friend yesterday. His heart's broken for his son. He feels helpless. He's saying, Pastor Rick, please pray for my boy. And there's many of you in the room who would say, you don't have to remind us that the enemy wants our kids or doesn't want our families to succeed. We get it. We know. So when Paul writes, he talks a lot about family. And so if you just look in 1 Timothy, he talks about how that, uh, well, I'll pick out a few phrases. Uh, be the, uh, let's see, the husband must be faithful to his wife when he talks about a church leader. You know what he's saying? Fight for your marriage. There's going to be temptations along the way, but you you got to fight to stay true. He talks about leaders of the church managing their own household well. You don't just turn your back on your family to go do ministry. you got to fight for your family. And, and then as you continue to read, as he gives instructions to all people, he talks about how important it is that you care for your family and that you provide for your household And that you fight well when it comes to your family. When you get to 2 Timothy, there's a picture that he paints that I want to show you today. And so let me take you to 2 Timothy, chapter 1, rather, verse 5. He's writing to this young man, Timothy, okay? And he says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, Timothy. Now, listen to where the faith is passed to Timothy from which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded, now lives in you also. How did Timothy come to faith? It was passed on from his grandmother and his mother. If you go to chapter 3, he develops this theme a little more. But as for you, And contrast to impostors and false teachers, continue in what you've learned and have become convinced of. So listen, because you know these from whom you learned it. Who's he talking about? Your grandmother and your mother. And how from infancy, I love this image, you have known the Holy Scriptures. Timothy, from the day you were born, they were teaching you the way of God. The scriptures which are able to make you wise to salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And then this 
awesome verse that many of us know so well. All Scripture, Timothy, all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. This is the word of God for the people of God. Amen. Um, I told you last week that a couple weeks ago we were in Cincinnati with our, our daughter Brittany and her husband Tim and their little girl Sadie who is eight, our only granddaughter. And we were eating dinner one night and Brittany says, oh my goodness, Sadie, I almost forgot. Do you remember what we wanted to talk to Ricky about? And the reason she said Ricky is because that's what Sadie calls me and I love it. And, um, and Sadie looked at Brittany trying to remember and she said about, about God being with us always. And Sadie said, oh yeah, you got to help me with this, Ricky. And so I said, well, what is it? And she said, I don't understand how God is, is always with me. I don't, I don't see him, and so it's hard for me. So it's like, he with me all of the time? And so I'm always glad to explain to an eight-year-old the assurance of the omnipresence of God. That's no problem. <laughs> and so we, we talked about how you feel love, even though you can't see it. And, and even sometimes when you don't feel it from your parents, it's still there. And we talked about how God is always with us, and I loved the conversation, and I loved sitting around the dinner table and talking to Sadie about faith and God and God always being near. Is, is, that, is, that, is that a thing? Is, is that like where Timothy was? Was that his life? Is that what's supposed to happen? Is it? Is, is it supposed to be that way? Are parents and grandparents supposed to talk to an eight-year-old little girl about God and the fact that he's always with her? Are, are couples who are married to one another in their times together, are they supposed to be having conversations about faith? Are they supposed to pray together? Is this a journey that you walk with family? Are teenagers supposed to be having conversations with their moms and dads and their grandparents about their faith journey? Paul calls Timothy his son four times in these two letters. And, and throughout the book of Acts even, we get lots of information about Paul and Timothy and, and their relationship. He calls him a co-worker. He, he talks about how Timothy has accompanied him. He talks about how I'm going to send Timothy to you. He's, he, he'll help you. He'll be great for you guys. He, he talks about his, his desire to see Timothy. He talks about how he prays for Timothy constantly. And you may say, well, was Paul like his dad? Oh, no, no. It was more like an apprentice, a mentor relationship. Timothy has a biological family. And so we get in the scripture their names, his grandmother Lois, his mother Eunice, and how that they were Jewish, begin to teach Timothy early on about their love for God, became believers, and then begin to pass their faith in Jesus on to Timothy It's my story. 
My parents' parents talked to them about Jesus and passed their faith on to them, and our parents and that's and mine passed their faith on to us, and we have passed our faith on to our girls. Tim and Brittany have passed their faith now on to Sadie. That's the way it works. You may say, that's not my story. It can become your story starting with your generation. You can pass your faith on so your kids can pass their faith on. I've told you over the years that I was born and raised in a small Kentucky town. I never told you why I was born there, though. I was born in Columbia, Kentucky because, well, that's where my mother was. I heard my friend Talmadge tell that joke a few days ago. It went over much better for him than it did for me. <laughs> my, my, mother, uh, my mother is one of the greatest followers of Jesus I've ever known. My mother is all truth and all love. Uh, she, can, she can speak the truth with so much love that you just want to live into the truth. There's a few things my mother said to me over the years, and it breaks my heart when she says them, and I feel so ashamed, and I don't ever want to disappoint my mother. But uh, there's been a few times in my life that I've done or said something, and my mother would say to me, well, you of all people. It just kills me. I'm sorry, Mama. Like, I would expect it from other folks, but I, I, would, I have much higher expectations out of you. Or uh, maybe when I was younger and I would do something that I shouldn't have done, she would say to me, well, ain't you pretty? <laughs> Which meant I wasn't pretty. What I did was ugly. But my mother passed to me and my father their faith. So there's a participatory part of the sermon, and we're in it right now. If you became a Christian... Before you left your 18th year of life, I want you to raise your hand really high, okay? If you became a Christian before your 18th year of life, and I want you to hold it high, and then I want you to, while your hand is still up in the air high, I want you to look around. Isn't it amazing? Do you understand what's going on here? Do you understand there's a major story, you can put them down, that, that's being told when we do this? Do you, do you understand that we're at a point in our lives that we, many of us, are Christians, and we became Christians before we were 18, and not every story, but most of our stories are, it was passed to us by our families, and even this early in the New Testament, you see the faith of parents being passed to their children in Lois and Eunice on to Timothy, and this is our responsibility when I was a kid, I remember hearing a public service announcement on the television at 9 o'clock at night. Do you remember what it was? Did they do it in Oklahoma? It's 9 o'clock. Do you know where your children are? You remember that? Yeah. yeah second service. I'm not even going to bring this up. <laughs> oh. And I asked myself, what was going on in the United States of America? That the authorities that be said, at 9 o'clock in the evening, we need to make this a public service announcement to challenge people to know the whereabouts of our kids, because if we don't remind them, they might not think to know. 
How are we beginning to crumble as a nation that we said we've got to tell parents to know the whereabouts of their kids at 9 o'clock? And, and what's going on as a nation that as a pastor I feel the need to get up on a Sunday morning and say, you understand, we have this huge responsibility to pass our faith on to our children. Let me give you the numbers, okay? This is from the Barna Group. 94%, and it's what we saw in here just a moment ago, of adult Christians made their decision under the age of 18. 94%. When you say, Rick, why is it so important to preach a series called Fight and to take a Sunday and talk about fighting for your family? Here's why. If we don't pass our faith on to the next generation, we have no guarantee they will be in that 6%. It's a bet I'm not willing to make, a gamble I'm not willing to take. So you may be here today and say, I, I feel like I'm fighting for my soul. There's distractions. I've got temptations head on right now. I don't know how much fight's in me, Rick. Could, could, could I just take a moment and remind you that it's not only your soul that you are called to fight for, but the souls of the members of your family. You play a role in your family. So let me take you back, okay? Let me take you back to the scripture. We're back to verse 14 and 15, but as for you, continue in what you've learned and become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it, Eunice, Lois. I think Paul may even be including himself here to some degree. I've been a teacher to you, Timothy. And how from infancy? I mean, you grew up knowing. We, they were teaching you from, from your earliest days the Holy Scriptures, referring to the Tanakh here. The Tanakh is what we would call today the Jewish Scriptures. Almost identical to our Old Testament with the exception that the books are in different orders. If you opened it up, you would go, what's going on here? But then, let me take you to verse 16. All Scripture, we believe Paul has something greater in mind here. There are statements in the Bible like where Peter refers to Paul's writings as being Scripture. So we think that Paul is being more inclusive of New Testament writings when he says, but all Scripture is God breathed. Literally, the word means God breath. Inspired isn't enough. To say that all scriptures inspired is not strong enough. It is literally God's breath. When you speak, you breathe words, right? The scripture is God's breath. It is God's living breath. The scripture is alive. They are not dead words on a page. They have power to transform lives. All scripture is God-breathed, and it's useful for what? For teaching. About what? Where else do you learn about God and Jesus and humanity and sin and forgiveness and love and the truth? It's good for teaching. It's good for rebuking. I can't tell you how many times I've been up early in the morning and I've got the word open and I just go, okay, I hear you, God. I'm off track. I get it. I know. But also for correcting. Not just that it shows me where I'm wrong, but it corrects my course. 
This is the path, Rick, I want you to take. And training instructs us what to do in all righteousness. So you may be saying, you know, the word means a great deal to me. I, I think about those moments in my life when the word is reminding me that God is present. I think about those times when God has told me the truth in his word when I needed to hear the truth. I think about those times when God has comforted me with his word. I think about those times when I've had hard decisions to make and I've gone to the word and said, God, you got you to gotta show me. I love the words of John Wesley. John Wesley said, God himself has condescended to teach the way. He has come down to us. To, for this very end, he came from heaven. He hath written it down in a book. Oh, give me that book at any price. Give me the book of God. I have it, he says. Here is knowledge enough for me. Let me be a man of one book. You may say, how do I fight for my family? I think we can make a list. I think we put pray on the list, right? There's a lot. I think we would talk about, um, you know, time together, doing significant things as family, practices as a family. But, but I think what we have here is one way to fight that is very clear. See, when, when we say fight, I think we look for somebody to fight. Because there's got to be somebody to blame, right? But if we dig into Paul, and truthfully, all of Scripture, it's never about fighting somebody. You fight on your knees. And what I think has been made apparent today is simply this is that the way we fight for our family is that we give Scripture priority in our family lives. And we ask the questions, so what does God's Word say to us about this situation? And we live our lives by God's grace and the power of the Holy Spirit in accordance with His Word. I was on a text thread with Annette, my wife, and Brittany and Morgan Wednesday of this past week. And uh, they were bragging on Annette. And Annette is so loving, so, so good. When it comes to like which one of us, you know, in the whole family, we, none of the rest of us even get votes. It's just, she, she just wins. We're bragging on her. And Morgan, my daughter, who is now 28, be 29 in a month, she said, I have been writing down family memories today. So thankful for my family. And then she screenshots three notebook pages of family memories. And then she takes a picture of herself looking at the camera and says, yes, I'm crying. And so here I'm with my phone out and I'm, you know, larging and turning sideways so I can read 
Morgan's family memories. Sitting in a parking lot. And I'm crying like a baby. I mean, I'm emotionally just wrecked. She talked about, um, it was pages of stuff. I'll, I'll give you a few. Um, sitting around our table at home as a family in conversations. She talked about when we had other families in and we would sit around the table, sometimes an hour or two after the meal was over, telling stories. She said, I remember when the two of you walked in the door after G-Daddy died. And I remember putting my arms around mom and hugging her. I remember family trips. She said, I remember how much fun it was to have my dad coaching me in soccer all those years. She said, I remember walking down the aisle of our church in Columbia and kneeling at the altar. What, what we do with our family is important because when I finished reading pages of memories, I said to myself, they remember. You don't think they remember? They remember. And so the choices that we make today, I'm talking about eternal consequences. I understand very well that I may be looking to the eyes of family members here today that says, Rick, we, we made the scripture priority in our family, but we're still concerned about kids. I think then what we can do is pray. I've had a vision in my mind of this morning of us all praying as families. And I want that vision to become reality. In a minute, I'm going to ask you to stand. And, and I would love for you just to come down as families and kneel around the altar together. If, if you're here alone this morning and you have a friend, I think it would be okay to say, why don't you and I pray for each other's family today? But I've envisioned couples and extended families moving through the sanctuary to get to one another to say, let's pray. And maybe we all can't get around the altar, but I would love for us to come around the altar, but others may just stand where you are and kind of resemble a football huddle and pray together. Best way we can end our time together today is praying for our families, okay? So why don't we stand together? And let's just kind of find ourselves grouping together as families, coming forward as families. And in a moment, I'm gonna come and I'm gonna voice a prayer for your family and for my family. turn 
Father, there may be someone here today who has been tempted to give up. I don't know what to do. I've done everything I know. If I could have fixed it, I would have before now. I'm concerned for my family. But this morning, would you put in our hearts the will to fight? to get on our knees, to turn to your word, to do everything that we can, to love extravagantly, to show grace, to show kindness, to open our arms, Lord, to be Jesus, this is how we fight. And Lord, I pray that the prayer of this song would become reality, that you would bless our children and their children and the next generation, and that we can keep passing this faith along, bring healing where there's division, Lord, I pray. Bring salvation where there is lostness. Restore, Lord, where there needs to be restoration. Bring peace where there's chaos. Bring hope where there's despair. Answer the deep prayers of our hearts this morning. And we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
Grace, favor be upon you and a thousand generations and your family and your children and their children and their children. May his favor be upon you and a thousand generations and your family and their children and their children and their children. May his favor be upon you and a thousand generations and your family and your children and their children and their children. May his favor be upon you and a thousand generations and your family and your children and their children and their children. May his presence go before you you and keep you. May his face continue to shine upon you. You are dismissed. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.